In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, as always, thanks again for tuning in to another episode and thanks to our sponsor, Knowledge Vine. Knowledge Vine is the leader in human performance improvement training and technologies. Knowledge Vine is committed to reducing the frequency and severity of workplace errors by helping organizations leverage technology to easily create a sustainable safety culture. Knowledge Vine is the evolution of human performance, and you can learn more at knowledgevine.com. But also at this website, there's a banner at the top of the homepage. Find out about and register for the second annual Human Performance in Action Conference, which is sponsored by Knowledge Vine and also the HP Community of Practice, which you can learn about that on Knowledge Vine's website. The Human Performance in Action Conference, or HPAC, will be held in Houston, Texas at the Downtown Hyatt Regency, April the 17th through the 19th of this year. The conference theme is Identifying and Managing Risk, the Science, Data, and Application of Working Safely. And my listeners can get a discount by using the code OGGNHSE Podcast. You don't have to remember that right now. We'll put that in the show notes. And we're going to also put in the show notes some information about a new company that I'm excited to introduce at this time. You know, as you listen to the introduction to this show, this is HSE, so Health, Safety, and Environment. If we had HS and E and all small letters and we were going to make one capital, it's true that the S would be the capitalization here. We're all about safety and about people coming home. But health is oftentimes a part of safety, as can be the environment, which is going to be the case of some of what we're going to talk about today. But I have the opportunity to meet and interact with a lot of companies who are involved in any of a combination of these spaces. And today's no exception because I'm happy to welcome to the show Mr. Jim Walsh. And also we have Mr. Larry Young. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, Russell. Good to, do, uh, thank, good to have a chat. Thank you, Russell. I'm glad. It's wonderful to be here. Okay. So, Jim, let's start with you because you're the guy that I met actually this week that we're recording right now. This happens to be a Friday, and I met you on a Tuesday morning in Houston at a demonstration. But you've left Houston and you've gone back home, and back home is in Canada, right? That's right. I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm in my office in Calgary, Alberta this morning. Calgary, Alberta. And so, Jim, both you and Larry are with a company called Total Containment. And Jim, I think you're the chief operating officer, and I think you wear some kind of engineering hat too, right? Yeah. I also kind of serve as chief engineer. Okay. All right. Larry? Hey, Russell. Okay, so now you're in Canada too, but you guys, you're not in the office in Calgary. You're at what, your manufacturing facility or yeah. what? Yeah, I'm up in Edmonton, outside of Edmonton in Nisque. Okay, yeah, all it, right. It's a real, it's the industrial, essentially it's the industrial heartland of many Texas up here in Alberta. Okay, all right. We are herding over 100 countries. So for those of you listening, we're talking about Western Canada. It was here in Houston or just about 50 miles north of Houston at my home on Lake Conroe. It was 36 degrees Fahrenheit this morning. They said it felt like 29. 
I bet it was tropical weather there where you guys are today, right? Yeah, you can make no mistake about that. The sun reflecting off <laughs> the mountains of snow we have here makes it very balmy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I've interviewed people from Canada several times, and I usually mention to them that it's a long story and not very interesting. We're certainly not going to go into it on this podcast. But when I was a teenager, I actually lived in Western Canada. I lived in Lloydminster for three years as a teenager, which is about, as I recall, 150 miles east of Edmonton. So, Yeah, yeah, it's a great spot, too. It's just right, uh, very close to the border of Saskatchewan. Well, actually, Lloydminster is a border town. Half of it's in Saskatchewan, half of it's in Alberta. The first winter we were there was one of the worst winters they'd had in 50 years. One week, the high was 25 below, so... Oh, that's a that's a warm day up here. I'll tell you. That's, that's almost shorts and t-shirt weather. But I'll tell you, a couple weeks ago, it got down to beyond minus forty. And at one point in the time, at one point in the season, this winter season, we only have two seasons up here in Alberta: summer and winter. Winter season, it got down. We were at one point in time, we were the coldest place on earth. So it was literally worse than minus 40 Fahrenheit, and that was, you're not talking wind chill factor? No, heavens no. A wind chill brings it up at times. I mean, and this isn't regular, but at times it can get below minus 50. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's- yeah. Or minus 70. <laughs> well, gentlemen, so much for the weather. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk about total containment. One of the reasons I wanted to have you guys on the show, everybody knows who listens to this podcast and who listens to any of the OGGN podcasts. And by the way, check out some of our newest podcasts. Go to OGGN.com. And as soon as you do the homepage there, there's a big link right in front that says, find your podcast. Click on that. And you can see the more than dozen oil and gas podcasts that we have. But in every one of them, OGGN, the Oil and Gas Global Network, is committed to promoting the positive aspects of this industry when they get so much negative and false information out there all the time. But we're actually recording this podcast, I believe it's almost exactly two weeks to the day that there was this disastrous train derailment in Ohio, and it spilled what was that? It was vinyl chloride, I believe, and maybe some other contaminants associated with that. It was a 53-car freight train derailment, and significant amounts of these chemical contaminants billowed into the air, spilled into the local waterways, affecting a lot of downstream communities. And then there's there's actually some question, that's not the point of this podcast, but there's some question as to the efficiency of how they handled the cleanup process because they burn it and sent billowing clouds all up in the air. And that's the kind of thing that happens when you rely on trains instead of relying on pipelines, right guys? That's exactly the case. I mean, we've been paying attention to what's been going on down there and that, I mean, everyone's talking about the mushroom cloud and I can't even imagine how quickly the decision was made. I mean, and again, you know, so outside of my realm, but the, the decision was made very, very quickly to blow that up. And I don't, you know, I, I can't understand how that was the, I mean, obviously there was some, some issues with that train. It was going to blow on its own, apparently. And I want to do a control burn on it, but the resulting fallout is going to be felt in that area and many, many communities in that area that for a very long time. I know people were talking about fish bubbling to the surface of the, of the stream or the river that was running alongside there. 
But I, I just, it's just astounding the amount of damage that was caused by this. I mean, for you know, a couple miles, I imagine everyone was evacuated. Just a- oh, yeah. Yeah, it was quite the deal. Now, you guys up in Canada, I think it's maybe been about 10 years ago now, but they had a train derailment that almost wiped out of town, didn't it? Or Yeah, it's called the Lac-Magentic or Magentic Rail Tragedy. That happened, and there's a bunch of cars carrying low-vapor oil blew up downtown and destroyed a large portion of the downtown area. And people, you know, it, it was just a nightmare situation. And that just speaks to, you know, especially when we're going to get into pipelines here at some point. And it just, you know, moving things through pipeline, yes, every once in a while we hear about leaks having a, a larger than normal impact on the environment and loss and all that kind of stuff. But yes, and there's no comparison to the amount of oil that is shipped through a pipeline that actually reaches its destination as opposed to what is released. And I mean, we're going to get into that in a bit as well, but it's a remarkable process to think that we're going to ship these materials on a train as opposed to buried underground where the damage, when they do have issues, the damage is minimal for the most part. It could be a lot worse as we've seen just in those two instances of train derailments that we spoke of. Well, actually, I think there's some statistics on that, aren't there, Jim? And I think, yeah, I don't have the actual statistics, but I I know that pretty much every year, pipeline regulators and that would be either DOT or in the U.S. or Transportation Safety Board, they track the number of incidents by removing, you know, energy, I'd say, hydrocarbon products by truck and rail and versus moving it by pipeline. And every year, by far, pipeline proves, pipeline transportation proves to be the most efficient and the safest form of energy transportation that exists. So it's a matter of maybe you don't like pipelines, but if you put it on a rail car, chances of leaks, incidents, incidents that are serious involving injuries, all of those statistics are higher for, for rail and truck movement of energy. Well, and, and so I'm sure some critics are out there listening right now and they're wanting to jump in and interrupt because there was a pretty good substantial pipeline leak. Was it last summer? Was that was that an XL pipe? Was that the XL pipeline that leaked so much oil last year? Yeah, in December of last year, there was a sizable fourteen thousand. I think actually that number was brought down to eleven or twelve thousand barrels of oil out of the Keystone Pipeline in Kansas, which made its way into a creek that ran alongside where the pipeline was on this farm. We all watched it. The end. I read an article just a week and a half ago about that and the cost associated with that leak was in upwards of 400 million dollars to for all total losses on that leak and that water there was a creek that was running beside the pipeline and they managed to boom a lot of that and contain a lot of that oil before it moved too far down but when you get that volume of oil in the environment there's going to be ramifications for a very long time and the costs associated with cleanup lost production lost material reaching its delivery. We can see now, you know, when they with the killing of the Keystone XL pipeline, that would have brought millions of more barrels to the US from Canada. The security aspect of ensuring that there's enough material, enough product to heat everyone's homes, to do, you know, for gas. I mean in North America, US and Canada alone, the gas prices are absolutely astounding right now. Oh yeah. That's a huge issue for a lot of people. So to see that massive leak in Kansas Last year was devastating, and I can't even imagine you know the impact that would have had downstream from that pipeline. 
Well, so that's, as I said, that's the knock against pipelines. So you're talking about at crossings and high consequence areas and populated areas and environmentally sensitive areas and areas with severe or abnormal operating conditions. And so these leaks occur. But you guys have a solution for that, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I'll talk on the preface. I'm the CEO, by the way. I designed this system. And I'll let Jim, I'll just speak a couple words on Jim, get a little bit more technical than I can. He's uh, he's a much smarter cat than I am. You know, six years ago, I don't know if it was an epiphany or whatever it was, but I anticipated that we were going to have to solve the pipeline issue, especially in high consequence areas, high risk, unusually sensitive areas, as you mentioned, to ensure that pipelines don't impact the environment. So back in 2016, I started to design a system that is installed on the pipe to protect the environment and protect the infrastructure. And it's, it's, we call it the EnviroLock system. And essentially it creates an annulus around the pipe that captures, can firstly, it will detect. And we create an annulus of about an inch, an inch and a half around the pipe with our system. And inside that annulus, we house leak detection. So we can, we know instantly when a leak takes place, where it takes place, and then we can capture it and hold it before it's released into the environment. So in this, you know, the Keystone pipeline that leak that we just spoke of, had our system been installed on it, very good chance that our system would have captured, held, detected that leak. They would have known exactly where it was. It took them a couple of weeks to find the problem area where the incident, where the leak took place. So that was a challenge as well. But with our system installed on that pipe, we could have potentially captured that leak, detected it, and had the pipe back up and running, no environmental impact, and we don't expect anyone to or any companies to put the system on the entire on an entire pipeline. We designed this thing for those high risk areas, under rivers, near water, densely populated areas, unusually sensitive areas, indigenous lands, things along those lines where if a leak took place, the impact is going to be extraordinary. And our systems are designed, they're engineered for each pipe. Every every pipeline has its own challenges that it has to overcome maximum operating pressure environment in northern U.S., southern Canada, along that border, it gets very cold down there. You get frost thaw cycles, you get movement. And if the anticipation of climate, of increased climate activity leads to more floods, drought, things along those lines, those also cause issues for pipelines. So back in 2016, I started the design, built the first system, tested it out up here in Canada at Seaford Technologies, very good institution, by the way. And we proved out the first system, but the first system proved to be a bit costly and bulky and big. So we designed a second system that we are very, very happy with. It's much, much smaller. The original system had about, I don't know, four feet on our, in total size, was larger in diameter than the pipe. So we had a large storage area in case a leak took place. But we've come up with a much, much better way to do this and install it on the pipe itself. It only comes into contact in a couple of spots with the pipe at the beginning and the end. It's really, really effective, and we're just starting to get some get some notice out there and get out with industry. We just did a test. That's where you met Jim down at PRCI, and I can't recommend that facility enough. It's really, you know, Lance down there and the whole team were just fantastic, and maybe I'll lead into Jim, and he can get into his discussion with what happened. Well, yeah, that's a good place to bring Jim in here because you're calling this, Larry, you're calling this the Enviro Lock, so that's Enviro, you know, short for environment lock, you know, we're going to lock out these leaks, but we're, and you're calling it a system, but since we don't have any video or pictures, you know, on the podcast, try Jim to, and I saw it of course in Houston at the demo, but try to tell everybody, you know, 
describe this system or how it is put on the pipeline? Certainly. Yeah. So, Russell, you were down and saw our demonstration test liner installation that we put on a flow loop at PRCI. And so, really, it's there's three major components to our EnviroLock 2 or 2.0 plus systems. And the only difference is our, we have an EnviroLock 2 system that is made out of EnviroMesh and 100% polyurea. The plus is actually that we'll use fiber reinforcement to add additional strength to the EnviroLock system. But if I was, if we come along and let's say an owner operator of a pipe segment wants to put our system on a thousand yards of their pipe in a high consequence area, we would come along and we would put end caps. And these end caps are installed directly onto the pipe. And truthfully, the end caps or the bulkheads, bulkheads I'll get to, are, are just really to minimize the flow area where a leak can flow into be and contain it there. But the end caps are the only location where our system attaches to the pipe. And the end caps are designed to withstand internal pressures in the liner that are equal to the pressure of the flowing pipe. And they are designed to keep any transported product from migrating along the pipe and out the end of our liner system. So these end caps are critical. They have to be the basis for attaching the liner to, and they also have to withstand the end forces that are generated by the internal pressure. And then the second part that we use, as Larry mentioned, we form a cavity around the pipe in which we can house leak detection. And also it provides the storage area for the leak to enter into and migrate in between the bulkheads, if you will, or between the end caps. So it stays, it's, it's contained in there. And then I guess the idea, you've, you can tap into that and remove the leak product without contaminating that's correct. The environment, you know, water, soil, the air, the environment. The environment. That's correct. So it's contained within that environment area. That's the environment is really, it's a multi-orientated strand of PVC material, or it's something we can make from recycled single-use plastics. And so it's really there to contain. It's the space where the leak product will contain. And then the magic happens out at our liner. And the liner is the impervious structure that contains any leaks from escaping to the environment. And it also has the added benefit, it keeps all environmental forces away from the pipe. So third-party strikes, ground movements, or even it also keeps moisture, water away from the pipe. So it essentially eliminates corrosion on the outside of a pipe, which is another major source of, of when pipes leak. They don't leak often, but when they do, it tends to be corrosion. <laughs> Polyurea, is that what it is? Polyurea, you got it. Polyurea, that's the secret sauce to y'all's system? Yeah, like it's, I mean, I've been in secondary containment for a number of years in coatings, and polyurea is unique among coatings. It's a very, very high tensile, very abrasion resistant material. And I'll put, I'll send out a word for our suppliers there at New Coat that we, the polyurea, when it's combined with the fibers that we use, and there's a number of different fibers, and the system works. And it's designed to work on municipal water pipelines as well, where if the system was installed on water pipes, our system is strong enough that even if that pipe leaked, our system captures that leak, equalizes pressure inside and out, and the pipe just continues to operate. So there's no need for intervention. Our system will last for decades without the need to go in and hit it so, or intervene and repair the pipe. 
So there's a lot of benefits on both sides of the, the oil and gas and the municipal side, but on the oil and gas pipeline side, polyurea has been used as a coating for inside rail cars that have been used for tank farms, secondary containment for a long, long time because of its properties and its basic immunity to moisture, to chemical damage, temperature changes, all those things. And those are all very important aspects of the system. But it also has, you know, we can make this system, obviously when you're dealing with pressures upwards of a thousand plus PSI, you have to be able to resist when a pinhole takes place you have to be able to resist that impinging effect of that leak because it's a jet of high pressure liquid or gas so it's going to have penetrating potential and that's what the environment does so it, the, the environment breaks up that leak jet so it doesn't penetrate our system but polyurea is now being used more widely as a pipeline coating itself there's a number of companies out there that are using it to coat their pipes to protect them from corrosion but I think it's time for the industry, and this is just my own personal opinion. A lot of people agree, some disagree. I think it's time for us to move past simple coatings to just pipe, just to protect the pipe from a single aspect, which is corrosion. I mean, very important aspect, no question about it. You have to protect that through wall leak is a big issue. But what our system does, it just compounds all those benefits of containment, housing leak detection, and that leak detection system, be it fiber optics, be it sensor-based, makes no difference. We can pull it from within the system up to the surface where it connects to a gateway and it communicates with operators when there's a leak that takes place. But that leak detection system also has the benefit of being protected from the environment. So it's not in the environment, it's inside the containment system itself. And if you think of it as a pipe in pipe, but it's not a pipe in pipe, we can bulkhead this thing off. It has. We can design it to have the same strength as the pipe and more. Now, there's no limit to how big, how strong, how thick we can make this technology because it's a spray-applied material. Polyurea is spray-applied with a plural pump, high pressures, high temperatures, but it cures in a matter of seconds to a hard, hard surface. Given that after seven days being in the ground, and it can be buried after 20, you know, after 20 seconds. It doesn't have to be out in the atmosphere for a week. But after seven days, the strength of the polyurea itself, now, is astounding. But to give you an idea where polyurea is used in the commercial world, they'll spray the back of truck beds with a specific polyurea. Now, that's not the polyureas that we use, but it, that's what polyurea is. They'll spray that truck liner in, and it's just a different type of polyurea. It doesn't have the same properties as the polyureas that we use, but it has longevity. I mean, you look at trucks that have been out there for 20 years out in UV attack, and that's pretty much the single threat two polyureas. Now there's other things that we have to take into consideration, but the UV attack of, of on polyurea is the single biggest threat. It just basically discolors. It doesn't remove the properties, but over time it will. But there's trucks out there that have been used for 20 years with the same truck bed liner and they're just as strong as ever. So in order to be able to contain leaks, we have to have a very, very strong material. Now, there's epoxies out there that have similar strengths, but epoxies are very, very brittle. Polyurea can move flex up to 400% elongation. So when the earth moves, our system... Is I was going to say that's very important on a pipeline system. That's a yeah, that's huge. huge yeah, yeah. You guys, if hopefully we've got some folks out there listening who have something to do with pipelines and pipeline maintenance, hopefully we can get this podcast out to a bunch of folks who do. And 
if they want to find out more specifics about it, I'm sure you have a website. Is that right? It's very simple. It's totalcontainment.ca. Okay. We'll put that in the show notes. And I guess you guys are both on LinkedIn. We can put your LinkedIn URLs in there. Absolutely. And folks, well, I'm excited to bring you guys on and have you talk about your new company that it seems like a lot of time and money and testing's gone into this thing. And you guys are really ready to rock and roll on this thing, right? Yeah, there's no question of that. And we've raised millions of dollars to design. And I mean, when you're dealing with these types of pressures and these types of chemicals and hydrocarbons having a serious impact on a lot of materials, it takes a long time to figure out. And we're just a small company. You know, there's a very small company. We have a facility in NISPU and an office in Calgary. So it's taken time to get this done. But there doesn't seem to be too many other people. You know, lots of people are out there, lots of companies out there lining the inside of pipe which solves you know, a number of issues as well for those companies. But the external threats on pipelines are, are what- you're, you're actually solving the external threats and that's where we need to yeah. need to be going. Exactly. Well, guys, and I think also, Jim, you and I talked when you were in Houston, you're up there in Western Canada, but I think you are maybe looking for a U.S. partner as well. Absolutely. So we used the Texas-based company to install the liner on the test pool piece of pipe at PRCI. And it's those kinds of folks that we are looking to find if we can get a partner who can be U.S.-based to basically further our, I guess, further our business development initiatives down in the U.S. Well, best of luck to you guys. Jim and Larry, thanks again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks very much, Russell, for having us. I've been aware of OGGN for a number of years. I reached out to Mark a long, long time ago about this, but obviously we had to get to the stage we're at now before we could actually release any information on it. So I'm delighted to have a chat with you and look forward to the next time. Well, I'm absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's catch up in the future and and see how you guys are doing because I wish you all the success in the world. All right, everybody is. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. Thanks, sure. Russell. And maybe if, if go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Russell. One item, maybe if I could just to sneak in there is saying is that we're our, our development is far enough along now. We're we're looking for partners to pilot test our system on a small section of pipe or a large section, whatever they wish, new, used, whatever the case may be. So you'll have our contact yeah, information if someone thinks this is interesting. Just to elaborate on that quickly, Russell, can, is FIMSA, uh, we can uh, is uh, do a pilot. Uh, there's lots of stuff we can do. There's no issues in Canada or the U.S. and it is patented technology and there's no issues. FIMSA has stated that they think we are classified as an enhanced coating. So there's no regulatory issues with using. Oh, wow, the that's a good endorsement. That's, yeah. Well, it's not an endorsement. It's just their FIMSA doesn't endorse any products for sure and certainly not a new one, but they do. They're very aware of our technology and are willing to partner with us for pilots and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of support right there. All right. Well, great. Well, there you have it, folks. You know, another interesting HSE podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. As always, thanks again for listening. Please tell your friends to listen. Post us on your social media LinkedIn and, you know, Twitter, Facebook, all those. Leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify, or there's actually a review link in the show notes. We really appreciate it when people respond to that and tell us some of the things that they like, or sometimes we get what they don't like, you know. But <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you get some of those too. <laughs> That's good too, you know, but please tune in again next week for another episode of Knowledge Vines Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. 
Remember, Knowledge Vine is your dependable partner for full service human performance and safety consulting. Knowledge Vine, error reduction that works. And as we said at the beginning of the show, discover more about Knowledge Vine by finding in the show notes our website link, and other contact information, including the conference discount code. Or you can always just simply reach out to me on LinkedIn, and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.